If you're listening to this episode on the day it's released, this is election day in the United States. So if you haven't gone to vote yet or you're not in a mail-in ballot state, go do that and come back and listen. Though, if you're not sure you're going to vote, you may want to listen right now and then make some time to get out and cast your ballot because this election day is really important, especially if you're in states like Virginia. Why? Well, according to Heather Cox Richardson, and I'm going to quote this, we are in an existential fight to defend our democracy from those who would destroy it. People seem to hark back to films from the 1930s and 1940s and think that so long as we don't have tanks in our streets, our government is secure. But in this era, democracies die more often through the ballot box than at gunpoint. So let's just sit with that one for a second, because that is a lot. But for those of you out there who are listening and are like, "Ah, what are some examples of that? I'm glad you asked because we've got some. So back to Heather Cox Richardson. You can see this in Russia, where Vladimir Putin gradually concentrated power into his own hands. You can see it in Brazil, where Jair Bolsonaro, whose approval rating in late August was 23 percent, and this might sound familiar, claims that the country's elections are fraudulent and that, quote, either we'll have clean elections or we won't have elections. You can see it in Hungary where Viktor Orban has quite deliberately dismantled liberal democracy and, I hope you're ready for this, has replaced it with what he calls illiberal democracy. Hmm. So in our country, remember a few episodes back, it was the Remember the Titans episode where we talked about the Eastman memo? If you didn't listen, here's the short version. John Eastman, who was the founding director of the Claremont Institute's Center for Constitutional Jurisprudence, and a member of the powerful Federalist Society, wrote a six-point plan for overturning the will of the voters in the 2020 election that went to Biden. Although he went to the reputable National Review to cover his tracks by saying his plan was just a thought experiment, at the end of October, a video appeared in which he told an apparent supporter that his ideas were right and that it was Pence's establishment biases that made him unwilling to implement the plan. So that's scary. Because his plan to overturn the election barely failed. But guess what? The 33 new election laws that we have now in 19 states, those won't fail. They are designed to replace the idea of democracy with a hierarchy in which a minority will determine our fate. So remember those examples that we just talked about? Given that if you've heard Republicans, including our former president, praising Hungary, for example, and its new leader, Let's think a little bit more deeply about what that actually means. And if you're looking for an analysis of that, we're going straight back to Heather Cox Richardson. She says, if it seems odd that a group of people who claim to be trying to make America great again are taking their cues from a central European country of about 10 million people, it is worth noting that they are not simply talking about critical race theory or Texas's so-called heartbeat bill. We are in a larger struggle over the nature of human governments. And when American thinkers are praising Hungary, they are tapping into a long history of our own. So let's talk about that history for a second, because this actually speaks to the very foundations of our country, those which people who claim to be true patriots lean into quite often. But 
the truth about our country is that if we really listen to the words of the founders and their declaration that it is, quote, self-evident that all men are created equal, they were really making a fairly bold statement about the nature of governments that really was against the common theories held by Western tradition and thought. They actively rejected the concept that some individuals, some people were better than others and had an inherent right to rule the rest. Governments, these founders said, were legitimate and derived their legitimacy not from religion or heritage, but instead were legitimate only to the degree that those who lived under them consented to them. And in fact, they said to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. And I know this might seem like sort of a basic idea right now, but this at that time was revolutionary because it rejected not only King George III, you know, the ruler from which really America was founded, but all kings, in fact, claiming for the people the right to rule themselves. And for all its limitations, you know, because really the founders could make this statement because they weren't really thinking about like women or black people or all people of color really in this statement. It was still astonishing at that time. But I think we also know that history is not linear. And, you know, that statement and that theory sounds great. But how did it actually work in practice in our country? Well, you know, Only 50 years later, really by the late 1820s, Southern Democrats wanted to take control of the indigenous people's land in the Southeast in order to build some plantations because they figured out that's the way to make money. So they displaced all the tribes and built more plantations. But because Southern leaders were outnumbered by Northern Americans who objected to their economic system. Within a decade, that argument shifted, and they were arguing that true democracy meant not that government depended upon the consent of the governed as a whole, but rather that local or state governments could choose how everyone, including slaves, women, indigenous, and Mexican people, would live. And of course, along the way, they limited voting to a few white men who voted to keep themselves in power. Does this sound familiar? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and then fast forwarding a little bit in the history track, there was the birth of the Confederacy. So in 1860, Southern white elites declared the American concept of democracy, which was based in equality, government based in the consent of the people to be obsolete. They declared, remember this, they declared they were going to start a new country based in the hierarchy of gender and race that they believed reflected God's will. And I hope you're ready for this next part. In a speech in March 1861, Alexander Stevens of Georgia, who would soon be the vice president of the Confederate States of America, explained to an audience that Jefferson's belief that all men are created equal was, quote, an error, and that anyone who still adhered to that idea was an insane fanatic. Stevens told listeners, and I'll quote this, our new government is founded upon exactly the opposite idea. Its foundations are laid, its cornerstone rests upon the great truth that the, am I allowed to even say this word, but I'm doing it as a direct quote, that the Negro is not equal to the white man, that slavery subordination to the superior race is his natural and normal condition. 
This, our new government, is the first in the history of the world based upon this great physical, philosophical, and moral truth. Right? Sorry, I had to add that. (laughs) But that really is the most compelling part of Heather Cox Richardson's whole argument, because that's where it was, right? The replacement of the idea that all people are created equal with the idea that some people are better than others and that those people who truly understand God's laws should rule, right? And if you fast forward out of the Confederacy to the insurrection that happened this past January 6th, it's not an accident that those insurrectionists carried that Confederate flag. You know, while we're not on battlefields today like we were in the Civil War on Gettysburg or, you know, the Battle of Bull Run. We are on different battlefields nonetheless, those of Facebook and Fox News, to name a few. And our most important tool in this fight may just be our vote and our ability to cast our ballots for people who are truly invested in keeping democracy for the people and by the people rather than to seize power for a few in the name of many. So today, please go vote and vote for democracy, because when you do that, you are actually voting for humanity. Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast, the show that helps white people use their privilege to uproot systemic racism. We're your biracial hosts, Sarah and me, Sasha. And today we're rebroadcasting our Vote for Humanity episode number 85 from October 2020, so that you remember just how important and impactful this privilege is. You know, it's a different sort of election this year than it was when we recorded last year, so it's not the presidential election, but think about the razor-thin margins in the government right now and the paralysis we are facing without changing the filibuster. Think about the potential for a Trump 2024 bid that will be closely watching the voting trends in these elections happening today. Looking in particular at you, Virginia, and your gubernatorial race, right? And also keep in mind, so much has already changed in this last year, as we said about those 33 new election laws in 19 states that are meant to limit all of our abilities to vote. So go out and make your voice heard. All right. So you've probably heard all sorts of arguments recently about the importance of our constitutional rights and um, with a big asterisk here, because in some ways we are really arguing for stupid when it comes to everything that's happened in 2020. Right. And in recent news, how the Bill of Rights apparently gives a group of white dudes in Michigan the right to kidnap a sitting governor. Yeah. So those rights. So, you know, I want to step back. We want to step back a second and talk about what the right to vote means in this country for a moment, because we're here to talk about voting and some other issues along the way. But, you know, it's important. And when we throw around the word constitution, right, a lot of us refer to certain amendments. But do we actually know what the amendments are, what the Bill of Rights says? For example, the 15th Amendment, which is not in the Bill of Rights, that's just the first 10, says that the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. So that was what gave everyone an equal right to vote, in theory. More on that later. All right, the 19th Amendment, which we just celebrated the 100th anniversary of, it gives the right of citizens of the United States to vote, and that shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. 
So as we've also discussed, the 19th Amendment primarily applied to white women in that in that meaning and at the time of the ratification of the 19th Amendment. So, you know, there's an asterisk there as there is through a lot of our history. Now, that's interesting because I asked you, Misasha, when you told me about those two amendments, like, why should we care about those two in particular? And I'm so glad that you're about to explain that because unlike you, Miss Lawyer, I am like, you know, the zero times that the Bill of Rights or amendments come up in my day-to-day life and conversation, you are much more knowledgeable and I want to know why those matter. Yeah. So I'm glad you asked that too, because sometimes I get in my lawyer head and I forget. So when people talk about the constitution and our rights, air quotes, air quotes, like my elementary school kid just learned, it's important to know what it actually says so that we are truly grounded in understanding so that we know the text and the words, and we're not just making them fit what we believe. So let's start with the right to vote wasn't in our original constitution. In fact, some of the framers of our Constitution didn't actually trust, air quotes here again, regular people, which for them was anyone who was not a rich white male landowner, with this power to decide the electorate. Because voting is a big deal, right? You are giving people, you are saying you affirmatively want certain people to represent your interests. And in particular, when we go back to the framers who didn't want, you know, the common people to have this vote, James Madison. Yeah. Okay. So now all of a sudden I'm picturing the Hamilton, the movie, and I'm picturing James Madison in it and I'm getting a little bit more vision there. Okay. He likes rich white dudes. He trusts the opinions of rich white dudes who own land, not so much anyone else. So it's only through certain parts of constitutional amendments, like the ones we just discussed, that we are given the equal right to vote. But if you're thinking about the true American ideal, and I know we've thrown around that word American a lot recently, that this country was founded on, it was the right to vote only if you're rich, white, and you own land, and probably, you know, some slaves along the way, because that's how America rolled at the time of the Constitution. And that's important also because when the Constitution was written, that was the time reference that people had, right? So things that are in the Constitution then may not mean the same thing now. Looking at you, all of you literal interpretation people of the Constitution. All right. So as we're recording this, the confirmation hearings for Amy Comey Barrett are going on. And I happen to listen today. Bad choice. Right. Well, so five minutes I wish I could take back of my life. But anyway, I got to hear the part about Ted Cruz when he was questioning Amy Comey Barrett today regarding what the right to vote means and how the 14th Amendment says that men who engage in rebellion shouldn't have the right to vote. He was using that to justify not giving felons the right to vote. And he was asking her to make sure she confirmed that her understanding of the 14th Amendment was the same way. But if you're really thinking about men who engage in rebellion, going back to that plot to kidnap a sitting governor, what about all those dudes, those unauthorized militia in our country? What about hate groups? Where's that line? So how do we limit a right that many of us, including Ted Cruz, didn't have in the first place. Interesting question. Hold on, hold on. That is so fascinating because let's keep in mind militia and everybody who's participating in them, 100% clear that unless you are called to arms by the government, any militia is illegal. Yeah. All this nonsense that's happening is illegal. So they are committing crimes. They are engaging in rebellion. So that is a fascinating point you make. Yeah, right to vote. Let's look at the amendment for that one too. All right, but here's also a key part about our right to vote. 
And what is a right, really? I'm not going to get too like existential about this, but our right to vote is the right to vote for something. You have the power in a democratic society to vote for something. That means that you pick the candidate or the thing that's most closely aligned with your ideals and you vote for that person. You're not casting a vote against someone because if you think about that action, that is taking away your power because you're basically existing in the negative. You're not actively voting for something. You're trying to block something from happening. Very different thing. I love hearing you say that because for so long and truly for so many elections, I really have almost always joked that I'm casting a vote for the lesser of two evils. Like I have constantly personally voted against something or what I think is a little less bad. But even though, you know, I am kind of thinking about the same way for this election, it helps a lot to think about voting for someone. And in this case, we're talking about voting for humanity. Yeah, I love that because it's an action, right? It's an active thing. It's the voting against is almost like a passive action, right? Mm -hmm. I know that sounds ridiculous, passive action, but yeah. So, you know, that also is great because you brought up past elections. And in 2016, I heard a lot of people and white women in particular, which I'll get to in a second, talking about how they didn't like Hillary Clinton. So they voted for Trump. All right. So let's just pause for a second. So you voted against Hillary Clinton. And what does that say? Right. It either says that you feel that your ideals are more closely aligned with Trump Because as remember, you have the right to vote for something in this country, that person whose ideals are more closely aligned with you. Or what else? What does that really say, right? If you cast a vote for Trump because you didn't like Hillary Clinton. I want all those women also who voted against Hillary Clinton and then turned around and talked about women's rights in the next breath to just think about this next thing I'm going to say for one more second. You voted for someone who said, grab her in the pussy. By voting against Hillary, you voted for someone who is a misogynist. You put him on a national stage or you helped put him on a national stage. He has shown us time and again who he is and how he hates women. Well, a lot of other humanity too, but how he hates women. You didn't vote against Hillary. You voted for Trump. So let's fast forward now to this election. I wish we could have fast forwarded the past four years. Anyway, we have had four years under Trump. You know that he has lived up to everything he has shown us that he is. And now it's time to vote again. First of all, step one, vote, right? This is your right. This is what your ancestors fought so hard for. This is what we wrap ourselves in the flag for and yell about the Constitution for. So you need to do it. More on how you do that now in 2020 in a moment. But now we are faced with another choice, and I'm going to tell you something that I believe to be true and what Sarah said at the start. This isn't a partisan episode. And why? Because I just gave this whole speech about Trump showing us what he believes in. Because partisan implies that we are taking a political side. We're not. All right, just sit with that one for a second. Because we are taking the side of humanity. And this is really important. If you choose to vote against Biden, And that can happen by either not voting or by voting for Trump or by voting in the election by not choosing a presidential candidate to vote for. You're still doing the whole against thing there, too, by the way. You are voting against humanity. You are voting against the belief that all people actually are created equal. You are voting against the treatment of human beings as humans and not just if you happen to be super rich, white and male. 
So let's dig into this a little, because I know that's a lot. Oh, but it's so important. And I'm so glad we're finally fucking talking about this because it has been so hard to just swallow this and like analyze. Okay. I saw a great meme on political issues versus non-political issues. So Samuel Ronan, courtesy of Juliana English. If you're listening to this, thanks for posting this on Facebook. I saw it in this post. They said that political issues are things like, should we levy another school tax this year? Do we need light rail for our city? How much of our state budget should go to road upkeep? On the other side, things that are not political issues, things that are squarely about humanity are things like, are gay people human beings? Why can't presidents abuse power? Are black people bad? Should women be paid the same as men? Are war crimes bad? Okay, that is about humanity. And this next thing is key. We need to remember that it is about the impact, not about the intent of your actions. Regardless of whether Trump is actively doing something or unintentionally bumbling into things with his words and or actions, it is the impact of those things, not the intent that matters. And to be clear, the only impact Trump cares about is the impact something has on himself. Okay. Can we be just honest about that? Don't get it wrong. He is not capable of deeply caring about anyone else. I've seen people who are psychiatrists asking for anybody who is in that field to certify that they truly believe that Trump is psychologically and mentally fit for this office. They cannot find people to put their necks out and say that. You'll always find one or two, but as a general body, they cannot say that. Trump has shown us that through COVID, in his particular handling of getting COVID, spreading COVID, having reckless disregard for human life along the way. Okay, we are talking about racism. I mean, Trump is inciting racism. He is dehumanizing people who are not white, who aren't male. There is no room for doubt. There is no room for deflection into these conversations I'm seeing about human trafficking and all of this amazing secret work that they're doing or QAnon or listening to conspiracy theories and passing that off as critical thinking. Okay, from grabbing pussy all the way down to locking brown kids in cages to saying some of his 20,000 documented lies along the way. For those of you who say he isn't, you're hearing what you want to hear. So we're here to say that if you believe that you belong in this anti-racism conversation and work, which we hope you do believe if you're listening, and we hope you're sharing this with other people who also believe that too, and even the people who don't, maybe this is what they need to hear. If you believe that you belong in this conversation and this work, then there is no place to be voting for Trump for that reason alone. Let me make it very personal. If you are voting for Trump, you are telling me that my family, that I, that Sarah, that so many people that we love are less than, all right? Less than, let alone other issues, which we will get to in a moment. But he has shown us who he values, and that is him. Keep in mind, this man has spent his entire lifetime showing us that. He's been telling us that. We need to believe him. So let's hit on a couple of the key issues in this election. And I know it's shocking that I actually have to say this, but why humanity should win, right? Are you still with me? Do you think humanity should win? I hope so. Okay. I listed them before, but let's start with this one, COVID. Okay. His treatment of his own case of COVID. First of all, the policies that they had in place, the non-mask wearing, the close gatherings. I mean, all of the things that he and his administration and White House put together by just relying on testing and not listening to the guidelines. Who did he put at risk? 
Why did he do that? And then can we also point out that the perks of being a government official and getting subsidized, should I dare to say socialized healthcare at the top level? Okay. Because I mean, to some degree, I agree with that. He holds the highest office in the country. He should get the top of the line healthcare, but to then benefit from it and downplay it for the rest of Americans and make it seem like everyone else who's concerned about this is overreacting. People don't have that kind of access to healthcare in this country. Okay. So stop invalidating perfectly valid concerns. Stop being so careless with life of yourself, of those around you, and leading people, of not taking seriously your role as a leader to guide the American public to also be responsible for those around them. So that's one. It's a big one. Two, women's rights. Last time I checked, I was a woman. You're a woman. I know a lot of women. I have two daughters. Okay. Like, We are potentially making life worse so that we can push through a Supreme Court nominee that will definitely, do not make any mistake about it, make Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh, who does not love women either in the same sense. Okay. I don't care if you have a wife and a daughter, like going back to the fundamental of women's rights, he is going to be the tiebreaker. She is conservative. She is against women's rights. She is against Roe v. Wade. She has signed pro-life papers before. We have done a whole bunch of episodes on different parts of women's rights, but listen to the conversation about abortion if you want, you know, just to start. Have honest conversations. Understand what people's perspectives are when they talk about abortion. We just posted somewhere on social media about what someone's real life, quote, late-term abortion, even though she desperately wanted this child and the child was not well. But Texas, according to the laws, considered that an abortion because they knew the baby would die. So she's on paper as having chosen to murder her child, according to the papers, because of the way these rules are written. Okay. I know, Misasha, you and I both talked about this. We would love to see a woman take Ruth Bader Ginsburg's spot, but this is not about tokenism. It cannot be just any woman. It has to be a woman who supports other women, who supports women's rights, women's bodies. ACB is not it. And it terrifies me that we're rushing this through because this is stuff that will be there for basically the duration of my children's childbearing years. Okay. Yeah. She's not even 50 yet. So think about your, that is a lifetime appointment, people, a lifetime. Okay. Now, another thing that, you know, we, oh, just so casually talk about here on the show, racism. Anybody heard us talking about racism on this show? I think we know Trump is racist. We have to repeat it. We have to say it. And we do believe it because it is true. And we need to talk about his racism because we need to put words to his actions. We have to hold him accountable. He refused to clearly denounce white supremacy on a national stage, instead telling the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by. Stand by? What do you think people with guns do when you tell them to stand by? Do not believe for a second the BS that he spouted about how he doesn't know them or has not heard of them or just vaguely knows about them, okay? Now, he has paid lip service to denouncing white supremacy for sure. The truth is he has condemned neo-Nazis a handful of times over the last four years. But there is a difference between paying lip service on some small little sections of, you know, and then developing the empathy that you need to understand what it's like living in a different body than you do. And there's also the need to realize that there is a truly deep-seated problem with structural racism baked into our country's foundation, and you have to work to dismantle them. Let's remember there are fine people on both sides after Charlottesville, right? 
Now, I read the whole transcript of this, and that's why I didn't totally include it in this, because, you know, he tried to say, I do not support neo-Nazis, but there were, I mean, he was trying to say that some people were mixed up in it, were just showing up to not take down the thing. Okay, I get it. If we want to be like as fair as humanly possible, fine. I mean, he said some nasty sound bites, but if we're looking beyond sound bites and looking into the analysis of the consistent action over the course of not just the last four years, but you know, you watch that movie. Oh my gosh, what am I for the Central Park Five movie and the ads that Trump took out in the New York paper against them? Great point. Right? It's been around for a long time. And then if I think about Pence on the VP debate stage, also talking about that was when the magical fly landed on his head when he was like, there's no structural racism in this country. Looking at Kamala Harris saying this, right? Come on. So Trump is happy to brush this aside and maybe fan the flames of hatred while pretending not to. Keep in mind, it is just like the language that has been used in so many of our policies that have been coded ever since the 1960s Republican Southern strategy. Okay. In an article that I was reading, I mean, basically, just to make it clear, current racial code operates by appealing to deep seated stereotypes of groups that are perceived as threatening. They are different than the naked racial terms because they don't emphasize biology. They're not talking about brown skin or black skin, but people use words like thug urban, illegal immigrant, religious freedom, middle class, all of those are weighted and coded in terms of racism. So do not underestimate that and do not say just because he didn't use the N-word that therefore he's not racist. We have had that conversation. It is not about being a nice person. It's about being anti-racist and acknowledging and trying to dismantle these structures. I might have gotten really pissed there. So I get it. Okay. Biden might not be your guy, But in the spirit of going for something, not against something, ask yourself, is Biden going to stand in the way of humanity? Has he spent his long political career denouncing humanity, obstructing humanity, making sure that everyone who doesn't look like him is less than? No. Do people make mistakes? Sure. But there is a difference between having morals and being a sociopath or a narcissist or a misogynist. Okay. There is also a difference in having empathy versus having none. So again, let's vote for something this time around. Let's vote for humanity. All right. A little bit about the act of voting and things that you can use or remember to push back when people argue it against how it works or doesn't work. And can I just say, there is so much information about all of this going around. And I understand the anxiety and the stress that plus like COVID that everybody is feeling. So I just want to put in a plug that next week, you know, make sure you and other people are subscribed because we are hoping to do an episode on how to handle election anxiety, like real life tips, talking to an incredible guest that we're hoping to have on. So like, listen to how this happens, vote, get it done. And we'll talk to you about how to make yourself feel better after this. Yes. So we are both in states where mail-in voting and permanent vote by mail is really what happens or is very common. So we often forget that many of you who listen aren't in those states. So we're going to go over a few key issues to remember while voting. And if you've already sent in your mail-in ballot or dropped it off at a ballot box, not the Republican, California Republican Party sort of fake ones, check to make sure it's real, then we'd love for you to let five friends you know, maybe in states that don't have it as easy, know about this episode so that they can keep this information with them too. Because we've, we're hearing reports, we're seeing news articles of states like Georgia, where you're waiting in 10 hour lines to vote, which, you know, some people are calling it voter enthusiasm and others are calling it voter suppression because a 10 hour line is kind of a deterrent, right? But we're here to tell you that 
things, you know, to break down some of the fake news out there and also to just remind you of a few key things that you need to keep in mind as you're heading, hopefully, to mail in your ballot early. So let's first talk about postal ballot fraud. All right. That's not widespread, despite what Trump has claimed or despite what you may have seen in the news or on social media. The rate of voting fraud overall in the U.S. is between. Are you ready? Because these numbers are really small. 0.00004% and 0.0009%, which is according to a 2017 study by the Brennan Center for Justice. So if you keep that study date in mind, that included the last presidential election. All right. And as we've also discussed in a prior podcast episode, President Trump also votes by mail in the state of Florida and has voted by mail for years. So if you're concerned about postal ballot fraud and haven't voted yet because of that, you should go ahead and send in that ballot or drop it off at a registered ballot box. It's important to vote as soon as you get your ballot, if that's possible. And if you are choosing to vote by mail because of the time that it takes to count mail-in ballots. I know in California, we are already about five to seven business days behind getting confirmation that your ballot has been counted. So, and we're like just, you know, our ballots were released last week. So you can always, as we mentioned before, drop those ballots at a registered ballot drop box in your county. So if you're in Texas at the time of this recording, we know that your governor has limited ballot drop boxes to one per county. All right. So if you think that voter suppression doesn't happen in the United States, let's just consider that. Yeah. Can you imagine if they limited the places where people can buy guns in Texas to one place per county. I mean, hello. This is just, I mean, it reminds me of the abortion access conversation too. That is not right. Yes. So please go vote anyway. Please volunteer to drive people around you. If you can do that, please make sure that the people near you are registered. Some states will allow you to register to vote up until the actual day of the election, but that might not be your state. So if you are not registered, you need to check your status now and help the people around you check theirs as well. All right. So another thing that's come up a lot is poll watchers. And let's talk about that one for a second, because we've heard, as you probably have too, about Trump twisting the poll watcher issue to be one that's partisan and one that he's calling on his supporters to handle. Okay. First, having been an election monitor, a poll watcher, you need training to be a poll watcher. All right. You cannot just waltz into a polling place and assume you can watch because, for example, in certain states, like Pennsylvania, in particular, the city of Philadelphia, you can't be an official poll watcher until the actual day of the election. They will not let you in the registrar's office. So holding on to poll watchers for a second, thinking about now partisan symbols or voter pamphlets or anything that's trying to convince someone to vote for a specific candidate or party, those have to remain at least 100 feet from the entrance of any polling station in some states, including the one that I was working in 2008. This is a serious job, the poll watcher job, because those people are there to make sure the election process is just and fair. They're actually protecting against what Trump is asking his supporters to do. They are protecting against voter suppression, voter intimidation, and worse. So I think that this is really, really key to keep in mind. When you hear about poll watchers, do not just trust that there is something nefarious or bad going on if a poll watcher was not allowed in there. But you should know that the job of a poll watcher is not just one where you can show up at the polls and expect to be considered a poll watcher. 
And on that note, you know, earlier this month, we had a group of flag-toting Trump supporters who obstructed voters from entering a polling place in Fairfax, Virginia, and they forced officials to open up another portion of this facility. This wasn't Antifa. This was Trump supporters. And we're going to call it what it is, voter intimidation. All right. And this came directly from Trump's own mouth because the incident in Virginia came barely a week after Trump told rally goers in North Carolina to monitor the polls. Watch it, he said. Be poll watchers when you go there. Watch all the thieving and stealing and robbing they do, because this is important. So first of all, if you've ever voted in person, you know that there is nothing in there besides maybe the actual electronic machines, like a table. It's not just a lawless place where you're walking in. People are trying to make this process. So many people are in there, especially this year, committed to making this process as safe and as just and as fair as possible. I mean, I'm just shaking my head this whole time because all I can picture is like machine gun toting people, quote, watching the polling places. Like, what is wrong with this country that I should have to stand in line in front of practically like a military presence to cast a vote? Does anybody else have a problem with this? Isn't that considered militia? Like you said, that is voter intimidation. It is uncomfortable. You should not be able to do that. It is not right. Right. And if you're so entrenched in the American ideals, right, of voting and our constitutional rights, everyone should have that right. Right. So we if you are in there intimidating people, that is not if you're going to go that far and say that you are an American, I would argue that's un-American. All right. Because this poll watcher sort of group, maybe you could call it a militia in some ways, they're still forming. They're still being encouraged. And I think that it's very important if you see that to know what to do. So you need to have this website and number handy throughout this election season. We'll put these in our show notes, but the website and the number are very similar. It's 866-OUR-VOTE, O-U-R. And the website is 866ourvote.org. This is a hotline to the Election Protection Network, which has a ton of attorneys working to make sure each polling place is secure and safe, not just from COVID, but apparently from people who are watching very carefully without any training or desire to be impartial and save democracy. So you need to call this hotline if you see something. It's the same rule as everything else. If you see something, you want to say something. I've manned this hotline before. And if the person who answers can't answer your specific question, and that's happened to me, I would run it up the chain of command and someone will help. This is for all 50 states. Voter intimidation is not new. But having a president actively asking people to engage in it, that one's new. So now it's up to us to save our democracy or what we can save at this point. These hotlines, by the way, and the website also tell you where you can vote and how you can vote if you're still not sure. In some states, like I mentioned, you can register to vote up until election day, but do not wait. I think the key that we've learned about 2020 is the next day is unpredictable. So if you have your ballot, vote early, as early as you possibly can. Now, if you're listening and still thinking but like, Will my vote even count? Why should I even bother voting right now? Because I don't like either candidate. I'm not going to vote for the presidential ticket. Or maybe you're thinking, is it truly safe to vote? Here are our answers. Misashi, you want to kick it off? Yeah. I mean, I think you have to vote for humanity. We cannot survive as a country 
and I'm going to be real, real about this. And this isn't my doomsday, normal sky is falling approach in some ways, but we have to get out there and vote for humanity. Your voice is important because we are fundamentally grounded on the fact that everyone's voice counts. And it's the moment where we decide that someone's voice doesn't count that we lose that ability. Because remember, if we're really voting for humanity, we're voting for everyone. And if you are not voting here, if you're not going to vote for the presidential ticket, you are casting that vote. You are saying, and I'm going to take it personally, you're saying basically that my children shouldn't be treated the same as their white male counterparts. All right. It's very, very personal to me. And I think it should be personal to everyone, everyone out there who knows a woman, who knows anyone who's not a white man. Right. If you know a person like that and you care about that person, the president who is in office right now does not care. And I think when you decide to not vote for the presidential ticket or you vote against someone and you like here, if you say you're voting against Biden and you're going to vote for Trump, you are voting against humanity and we cannot do that. You need to vote for humanity. I really appreciate that because I think about the one issue voters out there. And I have to admit, as soon as I heard the reports about grabber by the pussy, I became a one issue voter. I was like, fuck you. You cannot grab me by the pussy. You cannot tell me that my girls are supposed to be less than like I became a you can't respect my gender. I can't even start talking about policy with you then kind of voter. So I get it. I get it. Maybe you're really pro-life or you're really anti-choice is what I should say, because I think we are all pro-life. But that is what we are talking about. We are pro the quality of life for every individual in this country. We should should have fundamental rights. We shouldn't have to be afraid of each other, of our government, of the news. We shouldn't have to be so angry all the time. And so I think what I'm saying is this goes beyond, oh, it's a character assassination of Trump and like, or they don't like this policy. It is an all encompassing idea of needing to vote for humanity. I really feel strongly that this is the fundamental core of the conversation. And I'm really glad that we're having it right now. But I want to use those emotions like that anxiety, the fear, the sadness that we feel when we're talking to people, reading the news or being an American, because emotions mean that we still get to hope. Again, it means that we are still human. And I really want to take back that notion of pride in my country. I am really sick of the fact that the Trump voters have taken the flag and been like, if you don't fly the flag proudly, you're, you know, anti-American. Damn it. I'm an American and I am proud of this country. I want to be more proud of this country. And I want to wear a sweatshirt that we've seen on social media that says I am an American and have everybody with all shades and everything be proud to be part of this. So I want you to vote as in request your absentee ballots right this moment, fill it out, send it back in or have your plan to take it in yourself on election day if that's an option, because we do want you to use your voice. And I'd like to think that if you're listening to the podcast, you're probably already a voter, but also it's time for us to make sure that others around us are doing the same thing. Okay. Just because you are, doesn't mean your neighbor might not have that hesitation for why they can't go help people. Oh, and one critical thing, if you're doing the mail-in ballots, sign your ballot. 
It is critical. Follow those rules. You know, in Colorado, we have an inner, you have the ballot, you have to stuff it in the inner envelope and sign it and then put it in the outer envelope. Follow those directions carefully. And if you are confused, ask somebody who knows what the right thing is to do and have them double check your work. There's no room right now to say, well, I usually try to vote, but I haven't lately and I promise I'll try. This is not time to try. This is time to do it. So request it now unless you're in one of the handful of states that already do mail-in voting automatically and get moving. All right. So we want to leave you with this, which has been the central theme of this whole episode. And fundamentally, the only thing that you need to take away from this episode, besides the voter hotline, you need that too. Vote for humanity and tell others that they need to vote for something too, because humanity is exactly what's at stake in this election. You're still here learning how to uproot systemic racism one conversation at a time. Our fresh news, we have a brand new book that's available for pre-order. So find us on bookshop.org at Dear White Women and order. And then make sure you follow the Dear White Women podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts so you can keep getting the newest episodes each Wednesday. And don't forget to rate and review us as you share our show with your friends. Follow us on Instagram at Dear White Women Podcast and Twitter at DWW Podcast. And if you love us, support our Patreon or look for ways you can bring us into your place of employment or circle of influence for a talk or ask us about our webinars and consulting work. Thanks for being here.